As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The Royals step out for the Commonwealth Games. Duchess Kate goes sailing and Princess Charlotte sends well wishes to the soccer team ahead of their big win. Good luck. I hope you win. Bye. Prince Charles reportedly accepted cash from Osama Bin Laden's family as author Tom Bauer's thoughts on the possibility of Meghan Markle suing him over his book. It is so interesting. You know, he said that he, Meghan doesn't want to be cross-examined by his lawyer. And I think that's why we're seeing maybe less of these public lawsuits because some of them have gone disastrously badly yeah. for Meghan and Harry in that they've dug up even more dirt and gossip and rumors and secrets. And BBC Newsnight producer Sam McAllister breaks down how she landed that disastrous interview with Prince Andrew. The lawyer brain knew he was in serious trouble with that interview because as a prosecutor you just play a few clips of that and then you basically show that you know he can sweat although he did say it was temporary uh, you know to be fair to him and you know that that is just a world of trouble we've got that plus so much more on today's royally us hello to our fellow royal lovers and welcome to royally us i'm christina that's christine and the commonwealth games are here um, a lot of exciting photos and um royal attendees so we have a lot to break down this week um and still that fallout from tom bauer's book everybody is continuing to talk about that there is so much to talk about it's actually a really sporty week looking yes. back on it there's lots of activity and um fun sporty outings so i'm excited to dive in definitely all right before we do that we have to uh see what you guys had to say about last week's show and last week's show like literally blew up so many viewers <laughs> so many comments uh, keep them coming uh did so well so world lens uh, says tom bauer's strength is that he does meticulous work he documents everything he saves his notes also when writing the revenge he systematically recorded all the conversations related to its creation as well as phone conversations he saved all the emails text messages copied all written material finally before the book went out to print he saw saw to it that his information Sources read what he had written and approved the text for their part by email. You said before he does, he does, he's, it's an ironclad, so he does not get sued. And, uh, you know, he's written a lot of these scandalous and salacious books and, you know, he's, you know, yeah, I think every time. Yeah, that's like a, a unique aspect of his writing is that historically he's, you know, really has his sources locked down. He knows everything he's written is, yeah. you know, can be backed up in a court of law, literally. Yeah. So that makes these stories even more interesting. 
Definitely. Um, Ben Bergen said everyone should purchase and read Tom Bauer's book. It's very eye-opening. I'm positive. Even Harry's wife secured her own copy and is already finishing it. I mean, Tom Bauer did say in an interview that he's pretty sure that she read it, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, And then P.S. says they should have had to pay Tiggy Moore talking about the BBC saying what a horrible rumor to have had to live with all these years. Let us also remind ourselves that the BBC was considered a sterling source of information with a responsibility to the people to conduct themselves properly. They were not a tabloid. They were considered the exact opposite. That is a really good point. And in our interview with Sam McAllister, um, we talked about that as well. So uh, looking forward for you all to hear her take on that too. All right, well, let's get to our Royal Roundup and kick it off with this controversial story as well, Prince Charles, um, because according to the Sunday Times, he received a $1.2 million charity donation from Osama bin Laden's half-brothers back in 2013. Now, this came after a meeting between Charles and Bakar, um, is, uh, Osama bin Laden's half-brothers, back in October of 2013. He accepted the, the donation to the Prince of Wales's charitable fund, despite objections from key advisors. Well, Clarence House did release a statement saying the Prince of Wales' charitable fund has assured us that thorough due diligence was undertaken in accepting this donation. The decision to accept was taken by the charity's trustees alone, and any attempt to characterize it otherwise is false. Now, in 1994, Osama bin Laden's family publicly disowned him, and there is no suggestion that his half-brothers had links to his activities or have any known ties to um, terrorists. But the news does come just one month after Charles reportedly did accept almost a $3 million cash donation, which, of of course, was handed to him in office bags from uh, Sheikh Habad bin Jassim bin Jabbar al-Tahani, the former prime minister of Qatar. This is not, not like you said... It's not a good month for the Prince no. of Wales charitable fund. I mean, no, <laughs> not a good look. Um, it does sound like there's nothing untoward happening here. It's just a bad. It just looks bad. It looks really bad. And so much of the work that they do is about public perception. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's something that they really actually do have to keep in mind is how does this look to the public? Yeah, it's and like you said, it does not look good. And this comes just a few weeks after that $3 million bag of cash uh, story uh, came forward. So some definitely some questionable donations coming to the charity's way. Um, but in more uh, in happier news, uh, Prince William <laughs> celebrated his soccer team, the Lionesses, victory at the Women's Euro 2022 finals. This was really exciting. The Duke of Cambridge, who, of course, is the president of England soccer's governing body, the body of the Football Association, attended the event at one. Stadium and watched them win two to one. Um, he handed over the trophy, and Queen Elizabeth also sent her congratulations, writing, It is a significant achievement for the entire team, including your support staff. The championship and your performance in them have rightly won praise. However, your success goes far beyond the trophy you have so deservedly earned. Now, shortly before the game, William took to Instagram to wish this team good luck, and he did it with the help of his daughter, Princess Charlotte. Take a look. We both want to wish the Lionesses the best of luck for tonight. You've done amazingly well in the competition and we're rooting for you all the way. Good luck. I hope you win. Bye. I love this. This is so cute. This is so sweet. It's so nice to see them incorporating the children. You know, we saw Georgia weeks ago um, incorporating them in, you know, events that really interest them. I'm sure it's a special experience for Charlotte, um, but it's also, you know, it's really uplifting for the team. They kind of, you know, the kids are still very private. They only make these appearances very rarely. So when we do see them, it's extra, extra special. So I think they're still treating it as a really special 
you know, special way to thank in this example, um, the women's soccer team for their hard work. Yeah. And we also saw Charlotte step out at the Commonwealth Games. She was at a swim meet with uh, Duchess Kate and Prince William. She was giving her dad a thumbs up. She was <laughs> intently watching the meet. So it seems like, you know, they're going to a bit more um, events and activities and things like that and getting uh, into the mix before school, before school begins, once again. Yeah, yeah. So the summer break has actually just started here. So they have a few okay. more weeks until school begins. Um, but it isn't so nice that they're taking this opportunity of, you know, the summer break so that we can see them out and about. But yeah, this was so cute seeing her at the Commonwealth Games. She also um, pinned medals onto the awards board for Team Great Britain or Team England or one of the teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so cute because she looked sort of, a bit awkward and shy. Whereas when the other, the older Royals do it, they look so, you know, relaxed and confident. And it's really interesting to see that Charlotte's going to have to learn those skills. And so it's kind of cool to see her, you know, learning how to be a Royal. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We're kind of watching it as, as they go along. I love this so much. Um, Something else that I love was Kate's fashion. When she headed to the (laughs) Great Britain sale Grand Prix, she dressed for the occasion in a Navy blue sweater with white nautical stripes. She visited Plymouth to take part in a Team Great Britain race against New Zealand in a friendly Commonwealth race around the south coast of England. She then changed into a GBR wetsuit and joined Sir Ben Ansel. He is the most successful sailor in Olympic history and the rest of the Great Britain crew. I love this. I love when Kate gets in the action, gets in on the action. I know. I love sporty Kate. First of all, she looks amazing. She stepped out in these incredible white shorts, these white linen shorts. Mm -hmm. Um, and just made it look so chic. You know, I think if we threw on like a striped jumper and white shorts, it would not look as cute as, you know, the way she put it together. Um, and then it was, and then she changed into like a very utilitarian sort of sailing wetsuit almost. And it was just great to see, you know, this spectrum of really stylish and cute to really sporty and almost looking professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love her, Kate and Sir Ben Ainsley are, you know, they have a great banter and a great rapport. I think that they've sort of worked together on various pro- projects over the years. So I love Kate's sailing events. They're just always so much fun. So much fun. I love it so much. Um, well, speaking of style, Prince Charles showed up to the Commonwealth Games in style at the opening ceremony. He and uh, Duchess uh, Camilla arrived in his eco-friendly Aston Martin that is powered by biothenol sourced from wine and cheese products. Imagine. <laughs> I love this. I would be a car powered by wine and cheese. I love that so much. I wish I had a car powered by wine and cheese. Um, um, but they showed up to kick off the Commonwealth Games. We've actually seen this car before. Kate and William, um, you know, drove off in style at their wedding. It was uh, decorated in a just wed um, uh, decorations and things like that. So very cool. Uh, it's a, a fun way to kick off the Commonwealth Games. Definitely. Yeah. And then after this is pretty cool. So while at the opening ceremony, Prince Charles did read a note from Queen Elizabeth. Now, this was after a 294 day journey to all 72 nations and territories of the Commonwealth spanning 90,000 miles. Her secret message was finally revealed. And like I said, Prince Charles read it at the opening ceremony. So take a look. Your hard work and dedication, particularly in recent times, have been an inspiration to all of us. 
Yes. Uh, 90,000 miles to read this message. I love it. It's really special. It really shows how connected the Commonwealth still is. They still like their traditions. I've had friends in Australia and Canada watching the Commonwealth Games um, because, you know, they're cheering for Australia and Canada. And it's really cool to see all of these nations come together. Definitely. All right. Well, it is time to spill some royal tea. And like we said, everybody is still talking about Tom Bauer's book. But he is not worried that Meghan and Harry would potentially sue him. While appearing on the Lorraine show, he was asked his thoughts on Meghan possibly suing him over the allegations. And he said she won't want to appear in court being cross-examined by my lawyer. So it's best if she doesn't sue. Um, he, during the interview, he said he believes that the relationship between the Sussexes and the royal family is toxic and that Meghan ghosts people when she doesn't like him. He also gave his take on Prince Harry and Meghan's Platinum Jubilee appearance, um, saying, I think that they were defeated. I think they thought that they could blackmail the royal family into forcing them on the balcony and giving them a huge profile, which they needed for their Netflix documentary. He is not mincing words. <laughs> no, not at all. It, it is so interesting. You know, he said that he Megan doesn't want to be cross-examined by his lawyer. And I think that's why we're seeing maybe less of these public lawsuits because some of them have gone disastrously badly yeah. for Megan and Harry in that they've dug up even more dirt and gossip and rumors and secrets. Um, so I think Tom Bauer is correct there that they are not going to you know, sue unless they absolutely have to because it keeps digging up these really sort of these dirty laundry type stories. Right. But he is clearly he is clearly fearless, which makes me even more convinced that his sources are ironclad because yeah. he's afraid to get up there and tell the stories. And he's almost taunting them in a sense. It's mm -hmm. almost like, go on, try yeah. it. You know? No, you're so right. I, I mean, it's it's not a good look for the Sussexes. It really isn't. I mean, for one couple to have so much bad press is not, yeah. it's not good. I mean, there's a lot of bad stories out there. It's so tough for them because, you know, they are trying to do good work. They're trying to do important things, but these really kind of nasty stories keep coming out of the woodwork. And I'm sure it's very distracting from the work that they are trying to get done. Definitely. And, you know, another um, excerpt came out um, saying that, Princess Diana's family uh, tried to tell Harry not to, to marry Meghan. They didn't really see the comparisons in her. And that was another point of contention. They said that Charles Spencer actually, I think this story actually came out before Charles Spencer tried to tell Harry before the wedding not to marry her to kind of take his time a little bit, which we've heard that Prince mm -hmm. William did as well. So a lot of people tried to put, uh, pull, put the brakes on this relationship and you know, what clearly, I mean, they're, they seem happy with one another. They have two children together and, you know, kind of embarking on the next chapter of their lives. But like I said, getting all this bad press, it's kind of hard to turn a blind eye to a lot of it. Definitely. It's almost, you know, we, we talk much more about these negative stories about Mike and Harry than we do about anything positive that they're, yeah. we're, that they're doing. And these stories really detract from the work that they're trying to get done. Yeah, no, I mean, and Tom Bauer did in that interview, he did say that he's like, everybody's talking about the bad stories. He's like, I do say some good things about her in the book, that she is a hard worker. She is, you know, very uh, diligent and assertive and things like that. So there are some positives in the story, but of course, everybody loves to focus everybody on the negative. Yep. Yeah, yep. Totally. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of uh, things that are d disastrous, um, it is time to break down the royal rules. And this week we are joined by former BBC Newsnight producer, Sam McAllister, who will be releasing her book, Scoops, behind the scenes of the BBC's most shocking interviews. And of course, one of those most shocking interviews was that disastrous interview with Prince Andrew 
Andrew. So she is here to, uh, to break it all down for us. Take a look. So tell me, why was now the perfect time to write this book and what can readers expect? Well, basically, as you know, the Prince Andrew interview has been out there for quite some time. There's been a ton of coverage about it and everything that could be written about it has, we think, been written, except this really essential little part that is my story, which is how the interview came about from the very beginning, the first interaction, the first second. And so I wrote the book now that all of the litigation had concluded, to be honest, and I wanted to write this and tell my tiny little part in this huge historic tale. Well, you actually had a very big part in this historic tale because you were working on securing this interview for a very long time, right? For it was uh, pretty much a year in the making, correct? Even maybe even longer. Yeah, abs yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first email, which was kind of like an innocent one, came a year before you guys saw that no sweat Pizza Express, you know, ordinary shooting weekend, <laughs> kind of like crazy thing that we that we all experienced together. But I was basically uh, on email contact with them for a little while. And then basically the May was when I had the first face to face meeting with his now notorious chief of staff, whose name was Amanda Thursk. Mm -hmm. And I was invited on my own to Buckingham Palace. And the crazy thing, Christina, is I thought it was a bit of a, a bit of a jaunt, to be honest. I hadn't really told my boss. My job is to try and convince people 999 times out of a thousand, nothing ever happens. And this, come on, this was never going to happen. Right. What was that meeting like when you met him? And, you know, did, was there anything off the table when it came to questions about Jeffrey Epstein in that initial meeting? Well, in the second meeting, it was just me and my presenter and um, with Amanda Thursk. That went very well. Um, we didn't know if we had anything that was actually physically going to happen. And so a few weeks later, we're then invited back again. That obviously had gone well. And that was the face to face with Prince Andrew in Buckingham Palace. And my deputy editor, who's now the editor of my program that I used to work at, Stuart McLean is his name. He was the exec. So obviously an important part as well in the latter stage. And we all went back, the three of us, for this unprecedented, we use that word a lot, but let's really use it fairly this time, a face-to-face -face negotiation with a member of the royal family accused of heinous associations and heinous crimes. And that, in my entire career, was something that I had never done before. And it was really quite an extraordinary experience. Going into that interview, you sit down, the interview is starting to roll. When did you realize like, wow, this is going to go down in royal history, probably not for the good, for a good reason, uh, you know, in Prince Andrew's light. I mean, great for the BBC, great for the program. But when did you realize that this is, oh my God, this is going off the rails? I think the moment I realized was the moment when there's a space, Christina, and you will know it yourself between what we usually call the briefing conversation, where like the prospective interviewee gives 10 out of 10 answers. They say crazy stuff that's incredible. And then you put them in front of a camera and nine times out of 10, they clam up completely. They say nothing interesting. And it's like you were almost like deluded or something and it makes you look bad. This time that did not happen because on the Monday we had heard the things that you heard for the first time. We'd heard about no sweat. We'd heard about this supposed alibi, Pizza Express, Woking, which is a sort of a small town over here, like a, an obscure place. So a strange thing for a prince to do. 
And then lo and behold, on that Thursday, just three days later, he actually said it on camera. So the first time he started saying the very same things he'd said to us in the confines of that private small room, I knew that this was going to be an absolute fire starter. Oh, wow. The size of the fire got bigger and bigger as every terrible answer progressed. So he said he said the whole sweating thing, the Pizza Express in the pre-interview. So you knew that this was coming. I knew it might come. Might come. I yeah. believe it would come. And sitting there 15 feet behind him, watching his foot tapping, looking at the back of his head. I'm in eye contact theoretically with my brilliant presenter, Emily Maitlis, but we're making no eye contact mm-hmm. because this obviously is the interview of her career as well as, you know, of mine. Mm-hmm. And sitting there hearing him repeat that on camera, I literally could not believe it. And every answer you're like, that's the headline. No, no, no. <laughs> No, that's the headline. And the ante is just upped and upped and upped. I'm waiting for that apology. We're waiting for him to say he regrets the friendship. And sitting there minute after minute, it never came. And how did Prince Andrew feel after the interview? Did he feel like it went well? And is it true that he gave everybody a tour of the palace? So he must have felt that things went well after this interview. Well, there was this extraordinary moment where the interview ends. I had been looking at the floor by the end, I must be honest, because you're trying not to make eye contact, right? You know how that goes. And one of the people who worked with him was sitting next to me and I didn't really know what to say because I'm terrible at being disingenuous and having been a lawyer and a journalist, that's quite quite a burden. So I didn't know what to say. So I formulated my sentence very carefully and I said, so, slightly high-pitched voice, how do you think it went? And then she went, Wasn't he marvelous? And in all sincerity, Christina, I said, yes, yes, he was. And as my eyes lifted, the extraordinary parting of the ways. On one side, the journalists who knew this was an absolute unmitigated disaster. And on the other side, Prince Andrew, who, as you accurately described, invited all of us on a a tour. I didn't go. I felt, you know, that was something that Emily is so good at, but Had he asked me, I would have found it very difficult to answer the question, how did it go? Because we'd had such a good rapport. So that's right. Off they went. Did a really nice long tour. He seemed to be in extremely good spirits while we were basically ashen because we could not believe what had just happened. Did the BBC, once this aired and once, you know, the backlash came for him and people's jaws were on the floor after watching this interview, did the palace reach out and be like, we don't want this aired? Can you cut this interview? Did that ever happen? Or did you ever receive a any contact from Prince Andrew after the interview aired? Well, my expectation would have been basically fake your own death, you know, do anything to get out of this, anything, right? That's what, that's the bar, you know, Christine, that was not a good interview. So my expectation was certainly that there would be machinations or attempts. Uh, To be frank, they behaved extraordinarily well. There was never any recrimination. There was never any attempt to do anything about the interview. They behaved as if once it was done, that was that. So no lawyers, no nothing. Uh, Really an extraordinary way to behave magnanimously, obviously, in quite difficult circumstances for them and for the palace. I mean, I'm sure you never would have imagined sitting there during that interview that that his royal titles would be stripped. He'd pretty much be banned from all royal events and things like that. I mean, it all started after that interview aired. 
It, it is really extraordinary. I think that is where I was only a lawyer for a very short period of time, but the lawyer brain knew he was in serious trouble with that interview mm -hmm. because as a prosecutor, you just play a few clips of that and then you basically show that, you know, he can sweat, although he did say it was temporary, uh, you know, to be fair to him. And you know that that is just a world of trouble. I mean, the serious part of this, and that's why, you know, I don't want to make light of it in any way, is that in a small way, of course, this interview opened the door to the extraordinary hard work that Virginia Roberts had done, you know, with her lawyers and others for years and years, how arduous and terrible that burden must have been. Mm -hmm. And I feel that this interview definitely opened the door to allow some of that to be, you know, come to fruition and to be successful. Of course, we didn't help directly, but indirectly, it felt that this was his reckoning because his day in court did not come, mm -hmm. but his day in the court of public opinion came that day on camera in front of Emily on the BBC and everything after was very different. Yeah, you're so right. You're so right. And I want to get your opinion. I mean, what did you think of the BBC apologizing to the royal spam to the royal family over the Princess Diana panorama panorama interview? What did what was your take on that? Yeah, I have to say I was very angry about that. I don't work at the BBC anymore, so I can speak freely. Mm -hmm. it, it, I felt that very personally. Of course, this isn't about me in any way, but just factually, as you've asked me the question, the disparity between the way he went about his work and the way I went about mine and the fact that his work reflected on mine in some way made me livid. And I can only imagine how livid Earl Spencer and Princess Diana's sons and family must have felt for all these years, just waiting for the BBC to do right by them. And the length of time these things take and to have the process and how arduous it is. And I left around the same time as Martin Bashir and he was on, you know, full pay for like three months and earned zillions more than I ever did. You know, it really is a terrible injustice. And I just hope it comes to a proper end with dignity mm. after undignified period in which this terrible behavior was not brought to account and why not and how not and let it never happen again. You can feel I'm angry. It makes me oh. angry. And I can only imagine what it's like for people who were close to her. Oh, no. I mean, like you said, I mean, you 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 do the hard work. It takes really hard work to trust, to earn trust for the people that you book these interviews for and sit down with them and to to go about it a backwards way and a, a, a shoddy way is it's terrible, especially with somebody um, if, of her statue. Uh, it was, it's really, it's sad to see. It's disgusting, to be frank. It, it's mm -hmm. disgusting. It is. It really is. Well, Sam, congratulations on the book. Uh, if you want to tell all of our viewers if they can pre-order it now, when it is available, because this is a must read. Oh, that's so kind of you. So the book is called Scoops. The film is going to have the S removed and be called Scoops. So hopefully they can see that too. And it is available on pre-order. It's out in September with you guys, but we've had to ship it. And can you imagine in this day and age, that seems to take a long time. Yeah. So physical books available on that day and ebooks will also be available. And I really hope they enjoy it. And thank you so much for your time and speaking to me. Yes, I think that is definitely an interview that is going to go down in royal history for all the wrong reasons. I uh, yep, that's one that I think that everyone wishes that they could erase. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> all right. Well, in our royal history moment of the week, a new HBO documentary, The Princess, is set to be released, and we got a first look. Take a look. A hollow and tormented marriage are giving the British media and its public little else to talk about. Yeah, this seems, you know, another documentary kind of uh, exploring the relationship of Princess Diana's um, relationship with the media 
But according to early reviews, this was the Sundance contender. This, a lot of people are loving this documentary who have seen it already. Yeah, I know that it's really a topic that people have really rehashed time and time and time again. But it looks like this one is kind of a new and unique light on the story. People are loving it. It's getting really great reviews. So I, I don't think it's one to skip. No, definitely. And we are so excited because next week on the show, director Ed Perkins of uh, the Princess documentary will be here to chat with us all about it. So definitely um, set your reminders for next week because it'll be a good one. All right. Well, now it is time to check in on our Pine Size Palace and sources tell us that um, uh, Duchess Kate has, of course, met sister Pippa Middleton's new bundle of joy. A source tells us that Kate is overjoyed for her sister, and we hear that Pippa is doing well since giving birth to baby Rose. She and James are absolutely infatuated with their bundle of joy and are adapting well to being parents of three. So nice. One big happy family. So many cousins to play with. I know. It's so nice. Now that, you know, if if the Cambridges are moving out to Windsor, the Berkshire area, Mm -hmm. if Pippa's out in Berkshire and James out in Berkshire, there's lots of aunts and uncles and cousins running around. And it must Mm -hmm. just be a really, really nice experience for those kids. Oh, definitely. And in a few years, Prince George will be old enough to babysit uh, baby Rose. So (laughs) I love that. I love that. Built-in babysitters. (laughs) Definitely. All right. Well, Christine, thank you for running down all things Royals with me as always. Thank you so much. I loved all the sportiness this week. It was a fun week. Again, I've got to get out there and uh, get my sport. Yeah, I'm motivated to go outside and play now. (laughs) Definitely. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for watching. Keep commenting, keep subscribing, and we'll see you guys next week.